Man, we gotta start using Apple Cash. Okay, why? It's so easy and convenient. Apple Cash lives in messages. All right. So I can pay you in the convos we're already having. Not forget a payment or have money sitting somewhere just collecting dust. Oh, that is nice. And then you can use that cash right away and buy stuff like at a store with Apple Pay. I don't have to do all that bank transfer stuff. Nope. It's just right there. Easy, convenient, and secure. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? See how easy that was? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Kim Crawford invites you to savor amazing with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. Named in the Wine Spectator Top 100 list four times. Every sip of Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc is filled with tropical fruit flavors like passion fruit and citrus to help you experience golden hour how you see fit. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more and find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Samantha, did you ever watch The X-Files? I watched a couple of episodes, but you have to remember, I grew up in a very Christian home and anything Mm. about aliens. Oh, aliens. As as well as the fact that, you know, I think the obvious sexual chemistry that was supposed to be there between the two characters was like a no-no in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. And I think I was too young to really get into it. So, and when I say too young, as in like, I didn't sneak off on myself to try to watch it anywhere. Right. Right, right, right. Okay. Huh. Well, I loved The X-Files. And I think I've told the story before, but me and my friend would watch it because we were watching it, you know, in the ye olden times. And we were neighbors, but we would get on like a landline phone. And we would watch it together, but her TV was slightly faster than mine. Uh-huh. So I would hear her gasp, like right before something scary happened. I too was not supposed to watch it for a while, but that's because the Killer B episode scared me so badly. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think back because I was 13 when it first started. How old were you? 1993. I would have been like five. So they let you watch it at five? I think I started in later. I don't think I started from the very beginning. I went back, but my older brother watched it. So it's possible that it was on and I was just around. But I think I watched that Killer Bee one. I was like seven or eight. Oh, it scared me to this day. Killer Bees make me nervous. (laughs) I don't blame you. Uh, Yeah, which is interesting because I did have the phobia of aliens as well. But there are certain things that... uh, 
for some reason, I was able to put up with when it came to that phobia. I don't know why. But that was, <laughs> that was a big part of the prank that was played on me. But uh, I bring this up because uh, it is Pride Month. Uh, as we're recording this, who knows when you're actually listening to this. And we wanted to bring back our two-parter that we did on bisexuality with just this host of wonderful guests. Yes. Yes, um, some of our very favorites. And one of the stories I often tell is how watching that show was my first inkling that I might be bisexual because I was attracted to both Mulder and Scully. And I was very confused by this. And it's not an isolated experience. I know at least two other people that had the same thing with that show. Um, the amount of jokes about having threesomes with <laughs> Scully and Mulder look alike is pretty rampant. As in fact, it's in a Sex and the City episode. Is it about really? Threesomes. Yes. Wow. You're welcome. I mean, it made a huge impact. Like the other day, we were talking about the Scully effect, which is a name that was given and is still used for trying to recruit people into women and girls into STEM or mm-hmm. STEAM specifically. And then, I know this was in our fan fiction episode, but I wanted to share the story again because I don't know that you know this, Samantha. But uh, Exiles fan fiction was one of the first big, like, magazine but online fan fiction as well, even though there was not really a website for it. It was kind of like those uh, bulletin board things mm-hmm. people used to do. And the fan fiction got so big in Scotland that Scotland Yard investigated because they thought it was some type of cult writing this fan fiction, That's this Exiles funny. fan fiction. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've never read X-Files fan fiction. Hmm. I think it's time. Oh my gosh. That would be so fun. <laughs> I should I should do that because it'd be such a blast from the past for me. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, please enjoy part one of this classic episode. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. So, trigger warning right off the bat for this one. Um, we are talking about bisexuality today. Yay! And along with that, we are going to talk about some some aspects of sexual assault, suicidality, mental health issues, and domestic violence. Right. And, um, of course, it's now no longer Pride Month. Yeah. But I'm going to go ahead and celebrate Pride Year. Can we do that? There we go. Um, So, happy Pride Year, everyone. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, um, just coming in. So, in our last episode on sexuality, I incorrectly stated from a source the binary definition, which brought on several reactions on both our emails, I believe, and our social media. And I wanted to make sure uh, that we came back and addressed it because I do not want to be a part of the biphobic culture. And I want to celebrate everything that has to do with loving people. That's just kind of the end of statement. And I was horrified. I was like, I don't don't know what I just did. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, we have had in past hosts do episodes and they were very good. They were very good. And I came and kind of like kind of pounced on that in one sentence. And so I was like, Annie, we got to make it clear that we want to make sure we educate because I don't want to be part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And I also want to say on air that I apologize for the incorrect statement. Um, And so we came together and I've had so many 
different reactions, like I said, on social media. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to make sure that I got to talk to them. And with that, I didn't meet, or actually, I'll say meet. Is that meet? If I don't I meet them? I had a really long discussion about this the other day. Because e meet feels kind of. Not real. <laughs> yeah. But I want to be like friends with everybody too. Right, I'm like, I've sure. talked to you now and we've bonded over a few things. Uh, so well, I was going to say, I feel me. like it's real. I just, it also has an A. I think it's dismissed. It sounds funny when I type nice right. to E meet you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> e meet you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just say I E met. Yes. Um, several people that had responded to that. Uh, episode, and we have a few people that I did talk with on this episode, and we interviewed several um, people who specialize in a specific field that includes the LGBTQ community as well, specifically to buy community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, from the very beginning, I want you to know this is my mea culpa <laughs> to that statement. Yes, and I, um, I'm also sorry because I was bad co-host. I should have caught it, and I didn't. Um, and yeah, just, I apologize for any damage or confusion we've caused because there's already a lot out there and we don't want to add to it. Um, so I'm really thrilled that we have everyone that we got to talk to today. Sometimes I'm always, I'm amazed that people agreed to talk to me. Right, me too. You are so cool. (laughs) Right. I think several of our episodes were like, can we be friends? Can we be friends for real? Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, this has been, this episode has been a long time coming, um, we did touch on it in the episode Bridget and I did on pansexuality and Kristen and Caroline Pasco host. They did an episode on it. Um, and yeah, we had so many good conversations. This is going to be a two-parter. Everybody was delightful. Yeah, it's too much. We couldn't say, I just couldn't say no. Yeah, <laughs> like, I want to interview no, you talking. and you and you. Keep going. And um, one of our interviewees, uh, Dr. Tangela Roberts, um, she used a term that I'd never heard before called me-search, and she's going to go into that later. Yes. But sometimes I feel like I'm doing that on this show, like, right. oh, this is me-search, because um, for people who don't know, for a long time, I did identify as bisexual. Um, and now, thanks to this podcast, I believe I have arrived at <laughs> bi-romantic asexual. So thanks to everybody who wrote in about right. it. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Do you it. feel like being able to define it uh, gives you a little more... I don't know what the word is. Do you feel a little more complete or what, how do you feel about defining, having an actual definition of it? I feel more clarity around things that I have done in my life mm-hmm. and less confusion. And um, especially looking back uh, around conversations I had with friends when I was in high school and college and everybody was so like into wanting to have sex or having sex and I just was pretending like going along right. with it and didn't feel it. But at the same time, I did experience some kind of like attraction mm-hmm. um, to multiple genders. So I, I couldn't figure it out, I guess. Right. And for anyone who's um, wondering for a very brief definition, romantic attraction usually involves an emotional and or physical attraction, um, which is often tied to sexual attraction. Right. But not always. Not always. Sexual attraction is a, is a desire for sexual contact and sexual relationship. And some people feel both. Some people feel neither. Some people feel one or the other. It might vary based on the person. It might vary based on what phase you're in in your life. Um, so it is, I, I feel mostly clarity. And um, <laughs> a story I brought up in a lot of these interviews when I was asking questions is um, how... A friend and I, um, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how we didn't know bi was a thing when we were growing up, and we were just confused that we liked 
both Mulder and Scully Mm -hmm. on the show The X-Files. And almost everyone we interviewed (laughs) was like, yes, me too. (laughs) And it made my nerd heart grow 10 sizes. Um, There just wasn't awareness around it. And in a lot of ways, that is still a problem. Right. As I got older and I realized I was attracted to more than one gender, I didn't want to say it out loud because I felt like I could pass as straight and that I had access to heterosexual privilege and I had no right saying that I was in any way a part of the LGBTQ plus community. And this is something I still struggle with and I have definitely just kind of been shrugged off before as either you're being experimental or one day you'll realize you're a lesbian or something. Right. Um, And I'm not alone in that and we'll get into that more later as well. Um, And I will say when I was in high school, I was was well liked, but I was seen as weird. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of rumors about me. Um, so when I started displaying attraction to more than one gender, people would sort of be like, well, that's just Annie being Annie. She's a little strange. Um, she's, I like that voice. She's Because that's, that's how they are in my head. That's I how liked I it. like to remember them. She's just looking for a thrill. She's just trying to be interesting. And I did internalize a lot of that. Right. Um, so that is something that in my own honestly very limited experience growing up in a small town, I did see. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that's enough about me. Never. And us. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of ground to cover. Right. So let's get into our interviews, and we'll start with some intros and let them talk about some of the badass stuff yeah, they're doing. Real badass. Hi. Uh, my name is Dr. Tangela Roberts. I use she, her, her pronouns. I am an assistant professor of counseling psychology at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, I have a background in counseling psychology. Um, I do research on LGBT populations, specifically with bisexuality and LGBT people of color, and clinical work similarly with LGBT populations and adolescents. So I'm Diana Adams, and I have been a bisexuality activist for 20 years. I'm also an activist as a polyamorous person, and I have a nonprofit of which I'm the executive director of Chosen Family Law Center that supports people who are LGBTQI as well as people who are polyamorous and in alternative family structures such as platonic co-parenting. And I have a boutique law firm um, that serves private clients um, based in New York City. And I'm excited to be on to speak about some of the issues of being bisexuality in the LGBTQ continuum. I am Heron Greensmith. I am a senior research analyst at Political Research Associates, where I monitor the anti-LGBTQI rights here in the U.S. and abroad. And I'm also a volunteer advocacy attorney for bisexual and pansexual communities. So I have a personal label and a community label. My personal label is queer because I think uh, um, I identify, and I've heard other folks identify, um, with using it as a way to say quickly to someone, I am not a cisgender heterosexual person. You may not know exactly how my queerness manifests, but I'm not a cis straight person. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me personally, queerness, as I struggle kind of to identify what exactly my gender identity is, um, as I struggle to deal with biphobia, internalized biphobia, queer for me is a way in my heart to maintain my connection to my communities as my labels and my gender identity are in flux. 
Um, on the other hand, bisexual is my community label because those are the people who I march with in pride. Those are the people who uh, whose pins I wear. Those are my best, deepest, you know, most important and powerful relationships in the, in the queer community at large, the people whom I share the most experiences with of bi invisibility and bi erasure um, from gay and lesbian and straight people. Um, and so bi will always be the community that I'm allied with, but I identify as a queer person. Um, and I use that to mean I'm not straight and cis. I am Tanya Israel. I'm a professor of counseling, clinical, and school psychology at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And I um, do a lot of work around bisexuality. I've been doing research on how to best help LGBTQ people um, to thrive and live their potential um, I've been doing that for over 20 years now. Um, and the B part of it was, was a piece of it, but it hadn't been so much the focus until uh, three years ago, I was reading this book about public speaking and it was about how to give a TED talk. And I was like, oh, I know what I would want to give a TED talk about. And so that led me down this path of actually giving a, a talk at TEDx UCLA on bisexuality and beyond. I had this whole, you know, concept that, that, that I was, um, that I was sharing. And, but then once I did that and it was up on YouTube, it was like, oh, now I am Tanya Israel, international expert on bisexuality. <laughs> yes, you so, are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so suddenly, you know, people are asking me to come and give talks and, you know, do all these things around bisexuality. And I was like, this is great. I love doing this. I, you know, got invited to, you know, be part of a gathering of a bunch of researchers about who are doing work on bisexual health. Um, I got invited to the um, uh, White House Bisexual Community Policy Forum. Um, and there were two of those that happened in the previous administration. Um, and uh, and and then recently, I taught a course on bisexuality at UCSB, and so so it's just become much more of a focus of what I'm doing, including my research, my teaching, my activism. Um, when I started doing all of these things around bisexuality all over the country, I was feeling in such bi community, and then I was like, I have to bring that back home. So then I. I started a bisexual discussion group in uh, in Santa Barbara, where I live, and that's been going on for a couple of years now. I'm part of a statewide grant on LGBTQ mental health, where I'm specifically focusing on like supporting bisexual mental health. So it's really exciting for me that I've been able to uh, to to do a lot more of this because I feel like it's such an important um, part of the LGBTQ community. And also, by the way, I'm bisexual, so it, it has a lot of personal like meaning for me as well. We tend to assume people are the sexual orientation depending on the sex of whatever partner they are with. If they're gay or straight or lesbian, one article I found on Medium described being bi as being Schrodinger's cat, appearing either straight or gay when observed, but being both at once when unobserved. Tanya, and she said we could call her that even though she's a doctor, and if I was a doctor, I'd be like, right. doctor all the time. Right, I was like, you earned this. <laughs> yes. I will not call you anything but doctor. <laughs> uh, she has found an amazing way of dealing with this head on. So, 
you know, one of the things for people who are bisexual is that you have to come out constantly because, you know, there's not a way that people can tell by the gender of your partner or your history or anything like that you're bisexual specifically. So I have these business cards that say, um, Tanya Israel, um, biracial, Asian American, bisexual, Jewish, Buddhist, feminist. So I become like, like a professional bisexual, I would say, like I am out there. Everywhere that I am, like, I am representing bisexuality really loudly and proudly. Because part of it is I feel fine being a loud and proud bisexual, and not everybody does. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that's fine. I'm happy to do this and be out there for all of us. Um, I I think that the bisexual community is really diverse, and and I embrace, like, like, the whole bisexual community, people who are out, people who aren't out, people who are you know, in relationship with people of whatever gender, people who aren't in relationship, people who don't want to be activists and don't even want to, you know, people to know, like, like they're all part of the bisexual community. And I'm like, okay, my, my role in all of this is to just be like the joyful, um, you know, out there bisexual person. So now you've met our amazing panel. So let's get started with a baseline definition. Pretty much all of our interviewees brought up the definition of Robin Oaks. Here's Heron. I use um, Robin Oaks's definition. Robin is a foremother of the community. She has been an advocate for 40 years. She runs the Boston Bi Women's Network here in Boston and is also um, the editor uh, of the Bi Women's Quarterly, which is a quarterly newsletter that comes out. It's the only newsletter in the world focused on bi women, and I encourage everyone to submit. Robin defines bisexuality as having the potential to be attracted to people of more than one gender. Um, doesn't matter the degree, doesn't matter the intensity, doesn't matter the time frame. Um, it doesn't matter if the attraction is uh, romantic or sexual or aesthetic or um, other variations on attraction, um, as long as you have the potential to be attracted to people from more than one gender, um, you are, you can call yourself bisexual. There you go. For some folks, there is a lot of anxiety around the bi in bisexual, that it supports the gender binary. And along with that, some confusion around the difference between pan and bi, like we were talking about earlier. We asked our interviewees about this. I got linked with you. Uh, through Twitter because of my misstep and misspeaking in the previous podcast of sexuality, which was obviously very outdated and very too, like, one-sided, obviously. And you had reached out saying these are the things that are incorrect. Let's talk. And I love that. And one of the things that we were talking about, you were kind of linking us to, was the fact that this is a misconception uh, when I was speaking about two genders, mainly because it obviously is bigger than that. Also, it was uh, excluding the transgender uh, world and people of the community as well. And that was very, very telling. I was like, oh, my goodness, she's right. And I want to know more about it. So if you don't mind, can you speak to um, what exactly is the definition of bisexuality? And then just some of, some of the things all around that. Absolutely. And I, I really appreciate you being willing to listen. I think these issues are really complicated and the LGBTQ community is evolving really quickly, which is exciting, but sometimes it can be hard for people even in the community to keep up. So thank you so much for being willing to listen. 
the current definition of bisexuality for many people in the bi community is being sexually attracted and romantically attracted, not exclusively to people of one gender. So allowing for the possibility of the, the bi as in binary being attracted to people um, who are of your sex or gender and people of the whole other set of, of potential sexes and genders. Um, and so really it uh, takes away that male-female binary um, and allows attraction to people who are not just cisgender, um, but people who are transgender as well. And that's a, uh, an identity and a definition which has evolved over time as we've understood more and, and included and embraced the transgender community more actively. And I think that it's really common in the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community for a lot of emphasis to be placed on same-sex couples. And both bisexual community and transgender community can sometimes feel a bit left out of some of the conversations about um, these issues, which often mostly focus on lesbian or gay couples. And I think it's really important that as bi people, we have solidarity with transgender people. And there are some people who identify as pansexual and People talk sometimes about the definition of, of bisexuality versus pansexuality, and pansexuality is explicitly trying to make very clear in its wording with the, with the prefix pan that it includes multiple potential genders, which would include people who are transgender, people who are intersex potentially, and it, it's, I think, intended to make that very clear, but I think it's actually really important for us uh, to hang on to the word bisexual as well. I support people in choosing whichever word makes the most sense to them. But bisexual feels important to me because that's our legal and medical designation. And we need to really hang on to that. I mean, I'll start with like, yes, there is the term bi in the, in the, the label of bisexual. Um, that's a very, very like scientific term. Right. Um, and that term and the definition that goes with that term wasn't derived from the community, from bisexual communities. Um, and so typically bisexual communities have definitions that they use. Um, I don't tend to like believe in like monolithic communities. So I don't think there's like one LGBT community or one bisexual community. Um, but bisexual communities have definitions that they use to sort of define the orientation. So, like, if someone were to ask me how I identify my bisexuality, I usually say that I'm attracted to similar and different genders, right? So, I identify as, like, a, a cis femme woman, right? So, similar would be, like, any, for me, any femme expression from anyone that's similar. Um, and different, literally, for me, is anything that's not a femme expression. So, everything else. Um, so expressions of masculinity, expressions of androgyny. Um, and so that's sort of like how I identify it. And for me, that's been, that's, that's been inclusive of a lot of things and a lot of people, um, not necessarily and definitely not dependent just on like biological sex or assigned sex at birth, but more so um, expression. But I've had some people... <laughs> hear me when I say that definition and then say like, oh, well, you're pan, <laughs> but I don't, I don't understand when, especially among queer communities, I don't understand when it's ever acceptable to identify someone for themselves as opposed mm -hmm. to going with that person's definition for themselves. But it seems like with bi, with bi people, it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to say, 
how you're using this word is wrong, how you're using this definition is wrong, you need to use something else. But outside of that, no one would ever do that. No one would ever say, like, your definition of, um, I don't know, of trans or genderqueer or queer in general is wrong and you need to use that. No one would ever, ever do that. It's however you identify is how you identify and let's just roll with it. But with bi people, it tends to be a little bit different because there's all those stereotypes and stigmas. So I had, you know, heard this thing about bisexuality that the term is problematic because bi means two. So if you say you're bisexual, then does that mean that you're attracted only to two genders and that there are only two genders? And does that, um, you know, reinforce this idea that gender is binary? And I was like, oh, no, I don't think gender is binary. I think gender is really multidimensional and, um, and not dichotomous, you know, so that there's lots, there's probably infinite genders. And so I started questioning my use of this term bisexual. And that's sort of what started me on this track toward, okay, well, then what should I call myself? Because I, you know, because I want to um, represent in some way that I think that gender is non-binary. Um, but at the same time, I was really kind of connected to this bisexual identity. Um, and and this, here's something that I want to say about the bisexual identity, because a lot of times when people have this heat, they're like, oh, you know, bisexuality, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's like a conservative thing because it's saying that gender is, um, is binary. But really, when you think about the history of um, people embracing that term bisexuality, particularly, I would say, like in the 80s and 90s, when bisexual activism really started to grow more. Um, it was a radical thing to say that you could be attracted to more than one gender. And it, you know, I, I think that just saying that really is, um, is a radical way of combating um, this idea of dichotomous gender, you know, binary gender. You know, just saying that gender might not be the most important thing or genders aren't necessarily opposite, that you can actually love more than one gender I think it's radical. And so I hated the idea of giving up these kind of radical roots of the, of, of my bisexual identity. Um, but at the same time, I was like, I don't want to do anything that, that's not inclusive of people with non-binary gender, because that's something that I, you know, really um, want to support. So I started thinking about it and realized that, you know, there's, there's sometimes a difference between how we how we understand gender and who we're attracted to. So, um, so the, I mean, a lot of people are only attracted to one gender, it seems. And, and it's funny how we don't say, well, if you're heterosexual, lesbian, or gay, then you're reinforcing binary gender um, because you're only attracted to one gender. Like, how limiting is that, only being attracted to one gender? Like, we're not, we're not sort of critiquing those other sexual orientations in the same way that we're critiquing bisexuality. So I was like, maybe we need a way to... to describe how we understand gender that's different from how we describe what our actual attractions are. Um, and so that sort of led me in a conversation with, with some of my friends, colleagues, um, uh, Roger Worthington and Rebecca Toporek. We were having this whole conversation about, like, what do we do about this term? You know, and they were sort of providing me some guidance, and, and Roger was one who said, well, what about, you know, because I said, I don't think gender is just two. I think it's more than two. I think it's infinite. You know, and he's like, well, then what about 
pie sexuality. And I was like, pie sexuality, that's exactly it. It's more than two. <laughs> it's infinite. Although all the mathematician people are going to be like, it's not infinite. It's irrational. And so, okay. <laughs> That's a whole mathematics thing. Um, I don't think bisexual people are irrational. Um, so, <laughs> but I wanted a way for us to like represent, okay, maybe pisexuality is a way of saying, I think gender is non-binary, and then you can be pisexual and then also describe your own attractions and relationships in whatever way you want. So you could be a pisexual bisexual, which I describe myself as. You could be a pisexual um gay man, you could be a bisexual, like non-binary, um, asexual person, like you could be like, there's all kinds of like different things that you could be, but a way of saying, here's how I understand gender. And then a different way of saying, here's my attraction. I think I want to, I want to talk a little bit about etymology. Okay. Um, uh, because I think that behind Somewhat of the pan and bi controversy is this reliance upon etymology um, to justify the validity of a sexual orientation. And I just want to highlight that for the absolute bull it is that non monosexual people, people who have the potential to be attracted to more than one gender, are the only ones who are asked to justify the etymology of the label that they use. Um, so what I mean by that is bi people are told all the time, but bi means two, pan means all, you should be pan. It's more inclusive. It doesn't, um, reify the gender binary to which I say, yeah, gay means happy. <laughs> Lesbian means from an island in Greece <laughs> and straight means level and even, <laughs> But I don't ask you to prove that you're happy all the time or that you're from Greece. So please don't demand that I stand behind the etymology of the label that people commonly use right now for folks who are attracted to more than one gender. It's absolute nonsense. <laughs> Plus, if we want to talk about a sexual orientation, reifying the gender binary, how about we talk about straight and gay and lesbian people who are either attracted to the opposite, the quote unquote opposite gender or the quote unquote same gender. If anyone is reifying the gender binary, it's straight and gay and lesbian people. Well, we don't accuse them of that mm -hmm. because we know that's a, a, a specious accusation. So let's please not accuse non-monosexual people of reifying the gender binary. I know so many trans, bisexual people who are f***ing sick of being told that they are reifying the gender binary, especially non-binary bi people. Please, it's just bullshit. Now that we have some definitions and some etymology, it's time to look at some numbers. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. Kim Crawford does too. That's why they're inviting you to experience Golden Hour, your chance to reclaim your time and laugh with your favorite people, play your favorite song on repeat, gaze outside your window and daydream about your wildest dreams, or celebrate your victories. No matter the moment, you can savor it all with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. As the number one ranked Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S., Kim Crawford has classic aromas of lifted citrus, tropical fruit, and crushed herbs to help you stay in a golden hour state of mind. Because golden hour is more than just time, it's whenever you want to savor amazing. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more. That's KimCrawfordWines.com to find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So what do statistics tell us about the bisexual community? Here's Heron again. So one of the reasons I think it's so important to focus not on, you know, whether someone identifies as bi or pan, um, but focuses on what the disparities are facing the larger non-monosexual community is that non-monosexual folks comprise the majority, non-monosexual identified people, that is, people who identify as bisexual. And then in some surveys, people who identify as bisexual or pansexual comprise the majority of lesbian, gay, and bi folks. They comprise over half of lesbian, gay, and bisexual people. And then when you look at people who have had sexual contact with people of more than one gender, you're now up to, you know, a couple times more than people who have had sexual contact with only a gender similar to theirs. And then finally, when you look at people who have experienced sexual attraction to people of more than one gender, now you're up in some studies, even to like half of youth have said that they have the possibility of attraction to more than one gender. So we are, we meaning non-monosexual people, are, you know, more than half of lesbian, gay, bisexual identified people. And then when you start talking about possibility for attraction, you're up to maybe half of youth. So we are an enormous part. And in fact, the majority of the LGB community and I should add here that trans people can be straight, gay, lesbian, or bi. There's some studies that show that trans people are more, more likely to identify um, as bi or pan. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't have any dedicated services or programs. Mm-hmm. 
we have no funded national groups. We have very few uh, dedicated programs or departments at any of the LGBT organizations. I can't think of actually any. We have no paid staff at any of the organizations, any of the bi community organizations that do exist. Um, there is an absolute dearth of funding, um, and that lack of support, supportive services, supportive programs, combined with the bias that bisexual and pansexual people face from gay, lesbian, and straight people mean that we have disparities in really distinct areas. I will highlight a couple here. We have distinct health disparities, and the one that always bowls me over is our mental health disparities. Mm. The Youth Risk Behavior Survey is an annual survey administered in nearly every state and has an optional module that asks sexual orientation and sexual attraction and sexual behavior. Among girls, and apologies for the very gendered language, but that's the language used in the survey, among girls who identified as bisexual in states that administered the optional module in 20, I believe, 16, one-third of bisexual identified girls had attempted suicide in the past 12 months. One-third. Yeah, that is a very big number. Mm -hmm. It is just, and when you think of how many girls identify as bisexual, you know, some data shows it's like up to 10% or 20% of girls identify as bisexual. You're looking at a public health crisis. Mm -hmm. And then when you add the fact that there are not dedicated mental health services for bi youth, you're looking at a mental health crisis that is only going to worsen when people look around and try and find supportive communities and don't find anything. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they access their gender sexuality alliance at their school and they only face biphobia or panphobia. Mm-hmm. The second statistic I'll talk about is our um, the, the levels of intimate partner violence that bi people face. Mm-hmm. Bi people face such intense levels of domestic partner and intimate partner and sexual violence that, again, it is a public health crisis. I believe that 70, I think, maybe 68% of bi women have faced violence from an intimate partner. Mm-hmm. And 48% of bi women have been raped in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Half. Right. One in two bi women has been raped. There is an organization called, I think it's called the Northwest Network of Intimate Partner Violence. Did a series of focus groups around the country with bi female survivors of violence cis and trans and uh, non-binary. And what they found from these qualitative interviews with survivors of violence, female survivors of violence, is that the intimate partner violence faced by bi women does not conform sometimes to the cycle of violence that service providers often look to to help people be safe. What they found instead was that instead of there being like a ramping up of control that may precede moments of physical violence, that often these survivors talked about 
violence being preceded by a moment of coming out as bi Mm. or a partner realizing that their partner was bisexual and that being the flashpoint. And again, they're not being conversation about that. They're not being open conversations about how biphobia leads to violence, about how biphobia can lead to corrective rape, Mm -hmm. but how partners can view the partner's bisexuality to isolate them from their friends and family, to control them, to say that, you know, to to use it as a weapon. Um, And given the, the, the number of women uh, who identify as bi, again, you have a public health crisis. Right. And then the final stat I'll mention is economic insecurity. Um, and uh, I think it's, again, 48% of bi women um, live at or below, uh, I think it's $30,000 a year for a household. Um, and, you know, together you have a picture of by people who face bias at work, who face bias at school, who are being turned out by their family, 20% of homeless youth identify as bisexual. 20%. Mm-hmm. You have youth who are being removed from their families by their parents, who are facing violence in foster and adoptive placements, and who are turning to streets. Right. Then when they look for supportive communities, they don't find by supportive communities. They find um, violence with partners whom they may have to turn to for housing or for food. You have a lack of economic security and you have isolation, erasure and invisibility. And this is not to say that by folks aren't resilient. We have an incredibly thriving, beautiful community full of artists and musicians and lawyers like myself and um, activists and advocates. But what we also have is a crisis of erasure and invisibility that is leading to directly to death. So that was very sobering for me. The lack of community and the level of bias bisexuals face on all sides leads to all sorts of negative outcomes. I'm I'm a data geek. There's been some emerging research, um, you know, from Dr. Uh, Roberts, who I connected you with, and then uh, with um, Brian Dodge and Wendy Bostwick. Um, but Dr. Dodge has been doing some incredible research into bias facing bisexual people and actually has developed a, um, a metric to measure it. And his emerging research is showing that bi people face intense levels of bias and erasure and discrimination from gay and lesbian and straight people. They face quantitatively slightly more discrimination from straight people, which is unsurprising, just given the fact that probably more gay and lesbian identified people know a bi person, clearly for like proximity's sake being in queer community, Um, whereas straight people may not know a bi person or out bi person, either because out bi people don't feel safe to be out around a straight person or because they don't have anyone in their friend or family circle. More likely that people don't feel safe to come out around them because we are everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what Dr. Dodge's research has shown is that bias and erasure 
from gay and lesbian people hurts by people so much more deeply. And I believe that's because we are taught that we are supposed to be part of the same community, right? The queer community, the LGBTQ community. We're supposed to have community centers together and do a pride together. And when you face bias within our supposed community, it f***ing hurts. Out in San Francisco, um, I believe it was a by group, although I can clarify that, looked at the mental health of women moving into the Bay Area from rural or suburban areas around the cities, Oakland and San Francisco and Berkeley, um, and found something really interesting and what you'll find this now unsurprising. So both lesbian and bi women in rural more rural areas reported lower levels of uh, mental health well-being, mental well-being. And when the lesbian women moved into the city, what do you suspect their mental well-being did? (laughs) We're staring at each other like, who's going to answer this? Um, (laughs) I would think that it had increased, obviously, with a little more access for them specifically. Exactly. Yeah, they found community more specifically. They found places with like-minded people, people who had similar life experiences. They found programs and services that supported them um, and that improved their their mental health. What about the bi women? Went down. I was going to say either went down or stayed the same in the sense of they yeah, still can't find it community. Went down. Yeah, it went down. And I, I suspect that it went down because of their level of expectation and then disappointment. Mm -hmm. You're like, I'm going to move to the city. I'm going to find people like me. I'm going to finally be supported. I'm going to find mental health services. I'm going to find a community group and it's like a, a, a chat group and we can go to dinner. And then a, there aren't those things. Mm -hmm. And then B, when you try and, find community with other LGBTQ women, you face bias Mm -hmm. instead. Mm -hmm. And people say that you're not queer enough to be part of their community. People interrogate how many relationships you've had with people of specific genders. And it can have an incredibly negative impact on your mental health. It turns out bisexual people face a lot of challenges related to mental health. And so so I'll talk a little bit about that, and then I can talk a little bit about why that is, too. In terms of sexual orientation of, you know, if you're looking at lesbian, gay, bisexual, and by the way, when I say bisexual, um, you know, I sort of think about that as the bi plus category of um, all non-monosexual people, so people might identify as pansexual or some people identify as queer um, or polysexual. There's a lot of different terms that people are going to use. Um, but so when I say bisexual, it's a little bit shorthand, but, but I'm thinking of it very exclusively. Bisexual people um, are the most vulnerable sexual orientation in terms of a lot of mental health issues. And some of these, you know, vary a little bit depending on um, what gender of the bisexual person you're talking about. But there are things like suicidality, anxiety, depression, um, uh, you know, really serious things. Um, 
alcohol and other drug use. You know that there there are mental health um, uh, diagnoses and and issues that bisexual people face more severely and more often than other sexual orientations do. And people are sometimes surprised to hear that because they say, well, but I thought bisexual people, like, uh, they've got heterosexual privilege, and so, you know, they, they can pass, and so, and, and it's easier than being lesbian or gay. And so it's, this is why it's important that we, like, disaggregate the data, that we pull out the data about the bisexual people so we can really understand things. Because it turns out that a lot of the mental health vulnerabilities that we've talked about applying to lesbian, gay, and bisexual people, really the bisexual people in those samples are, are the ones who are experiencing um, that pattern that we've been attributing to all sexual minority people. Okay, so there, there's a couple of things that are unique stressors for bisexual people um, that that aren't the same for lesbian and gay people or heterosexual people. Um, but bisexuality, uh, people don't even believe that it exists. You know that that a lot of times people will um, say, "Oh, well, bisexuality—that's really just you're on your way to being lesbian or gay, or you're lying, or you're confused, or you don't understand." There's lots of different ways. Of, of erasing bisexuality and saying it doesn't really exist. Um, but, but in truth, you know, it's true, like some people do identify as bisexual um, and then later identify as lesbian or gay, but some people also identify as lesbian and gay and then later identify as bisexual, or some people just identify as bisexual from the start and stay that way. So there's a lot of variation in that, that, that um, but that's not a reason to, um, to dismiss the existence of bisexuality. The other thing is that um, there's so little bisexual visibility, both in um, media representations of bisexuality, but also in communities, you know. So we don't often see, um, you know, Pride is coming up this weekend in a bunch of cities that's already happened in other places. And bisexuality does, you know, isn't that visible, despite the fact that there are more bisexual people than lesbians and gay men put together. Like you would think that in the in the pride parades, over half the people in there should be bisexual and we should be seeing like pink and blue and purple all over the place mm-hmm. during pride. But that's not what happens. And so so that visibility is really important for people to feel like, you know, that that they feel legitimate, that they feel like they can find their community, they can see people like them, and that's important for for mental health as well. And then that last thing is just the the feeling of community and and connection to other people. So um, it's great that there's, you know, strong lesbian and gay community in a lot of places that, you know, decades ago didn't exist. You know, 50 years ago before Stonewall, we didn't have that. So it's great that we have that, but often lesbian and gay communities are not um, very welcoming of bisexual people. And so there's there's a lot of bi people like hiding out in lesbian and gay communities, you know, who don't feel like they can be open about it. And then there are people who are bisexual who can keep saying that they're bisexual, but people keep forgetting or dismissing it or not believing it or whatever. So so it's really hard to feel um, validated and accepted and supported when when you don't have that. 
also tell you that there's been some research on um, bisexual people and therapy. And, and so, and let me talk about young bisexual women, because there's, there's a study that came out in 2015 by Flanders, um, and, and colleagues, um, that's, that's specifically about young bisexual women's perceptions of their mental health. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, and, and women, like there's, there's even a higher percentage of women who are bisexual than, than men who are. And so it's, it's important for us to understand what's going on here. Although we really need representation of men too. So, um, <laughs> but, in, but in this particular study, um, they said, um, the women said that healthcare providers seem to not know much about bisexuality mm -hmm. and they became exhausted from having to explain their identity to other people and especially mental health providers. And it just seemed like there weren't a lot of bi-inclusive resources. So that's something important to know is that that mental health providers are not meeting the needs of bisexual people. Like there is this there's this highly vulnerable population that mental health providers like don't know how to affirm and how to assist. So that's something important. Um, in terms of what we can actually do for bisexual people, like one thing is sometimes when mental health providers are trying to be affirming of lesbian and gay people, they sometimes forget about bisexuality. So I think that the first thing is to remember that your client might be bisexual. So if they're talking about same gender attractions, then not to assume that they're lesbian or gay and like help them along this path to an affirming lesbian or gay identity, but really um, hold a space for the complexity of sexual orientation, whatever people end up doing with their identities and whatnot, just trying to um, allow people to... Um, to have that complexity of sexual orientation. One of the things I think is a really useful tool in working with bisexual clients is the client sexual orientation guide um, because it um, acknowledges that there's many dimensions of sexual orientation. Um, there's, you know, sexual attraction, there's sexual behavior, there's identity, there's um, who your community is. So there's all of these different things. And each of those can really be thought about on a continuum. And they can also be thought about in terms of where you are now, where you've been in the past, and you might have like where you see yourself in the future or maybe an ideal of where you'd like to be with that. And the nice thing about that is that it allows for there to be differences. Like people might say, okay, well, I have, you know, I fantasize about these kinds of people, but, you know, but I've only had relationships with these kinds of people. And, you know, and so, so those, those things that might be seen as discrepancies in, in other situations can actually all be held in one space and say, you know what, sexual orientation is just really complex and, um, and we need to understand that. So, so I think that that, that can be a really helpful tool. We need to have visibility. Lesbians and you know gay men need to um, need to welcome bisexual people. I'm not just saying because that would be nice. <laughs> I'm saying it's because there's a serious risk mm -hmm. to not doing it. Like mm -hmm. we are we are abandoning some of the most vulnerable people in our community if we're not you know stepping up and and providing that support. A term you've heard us use is monosexism. We asked Dr. Roberts, who has met President Obama, by the way? Yes. And she has also done some research around monosexism to expound on it. But before we get into that, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. 
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. Kim Crawford does too. That's why they're inviting you to experience Golden Hour, your chance to reclaim your time and laugh with your favorite people, play your favorite song on repeat, gaze outside your window and daydream about your wildest dreams, or celebrate your victories. No matter the moment, you can savor it all with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. As the number one ranked Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S., Kim Crawford has classic aromas of lifted citrus, tropical fruit, and crushed herbs to help you stay in a golden hour state of mind. Because golden hour is more than just time, it's whenever you want to savor amazing. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more. That's KimCrawfordWines.com to find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Here's Dr. Roberts. So monosexism, um, there's this idea that you have monosexual um, orientations, and those are individuals that are just attracted to one sex or one gender presentation. Um, so people who are heterosexual are monosexual as well. Um, similarly, people who are lesbian or gay are monosexual because they're attracted to multiple expressions, just that one. Um, so that's what monosexual is. And then you have um, non-monosexual identities, including bisexual, including just like general queer, including pansexual. Um, and those are just individuals who are attracted to more than one um, gender identity and or sexual, um, sexual identity. So monosexism then is like this idea that if you're attracted to more than one, that's wrong, you have to pick a side. And so it's experience that bi people get, um, interestingly enough, from both sides, quote unquote, and that straight people saying like, oh, you're not straight enough because you still have this other attraction. And lesbian and gay people saying the same thing, like you're not gay enough because you still have this other attraction. So monosexism is just this idea that if you have this additional attraction, then there's going to be some discrimination because of that. One of the reasons we wanted to speak with you is um, 
you wrote, um, well, you were part of a paper between a gay and a straight place, bisexual individuals' experiences with monosexism. Um, could you go into the work that you did with that? Oh, yeah. So that 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 was one of my academic babies, as I like to call it. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that initially was my master's thesis when I was at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And part of that study, I collected data on, oh gosh, um, over 1,200 or so um, bisexual identified people. And I, um, it was like online survey, so I asked questions about their experiences with discrimination, um, both from heterosexual people and from LGBT communities, because I wanted to see um, based on like my own experience, whether or not there was a difference in like the discrimination and unfortunate biphobia that bi people get from both communities. So I ended up finding that there there was a difference in the amount of biphobia that bi people experience from gay and straight communities. But realistically, like that difference was so, 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 so small. And I sort of say like, it's like you're in a room and you have two people yelling at you and one person, like the, the straight group is yelling at you like two decibels higher than the gay group. They're both still yelling at you. Right. And at some point you can barely tell the difference between like the volume but there is like a statistically significant difference so there was like a a significant difference but there was still extreme amounts of biphobia experience um by bisexual people from both heterosexual and lesbian gay i personally have known um other friends that i know who are bi who who are um, married to cis men and they're like, oh, I'm bi, I'm part of the community, I want to go to this like drag show or I want to go to this pride event and they've been accosted at the event. Like they've had people come up, like one of my really close friends, she said that she had someone come up to her table and said, what are you doing here, you straight girl? And she's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a straight girl, like this is my community too. So it really is just like, feeling like you don't belong. Um, I've had individuals in my life who were identified as some sort of queer um, want to challenge me on my definition of bisexuality and like assuming that I sort of perpetuate this binary and that I'm like a anti-trans, which is completely not the issue at all. Um, but it's more so like they have this definition of bisexual in their head um, that they've been taught or learned or heard from other other communities that aren't bi communities, and so they aren't really listening to definitions of bisexuality that come from bi communities. Um, and so there seems to be this clash that's there. And lately now, like I said, it's, it's a lot of like, I didn't know you were insert person who's perpetuating the binary and doesn't like trans people and even if I say like that's not that's actually that's not how I identify my sexual orientation the it doesn't matter and so that that's that that happens within a millisecond at like the first introduction to someone you know mm-hmm. and so if that's sort of like your community level introduction and you're trying to build communities there can be you know there might be some some sticky situations with that um for people who might already have this negative image or negative perception of bisexuality um 
and in the workplace, because people don't people don't talk about by anything, right? So mm-hmm. like you think like LGBT community, but people forget that like the B actually stands for something. If you're at an accepting workplace, um, I still think coming out as bi, like that's sort of a, a second coming coming out that you have to do. Right. You have to come out once and say like, hey, I'm not straight. And then everyone's like, oh, okay, you're a lesbian or you're gay. And then you have to come up, come out again and say, I'm not either of those either. Right. I'm bi. Right. Um, and then there's either going to be like blank stares or like internal gas or I don't know. <laughs> For me, it's not just like, oh, okay, I don't fit in with this community. That sucks. I feel lonely. Um, like that's one thing and you know, loneliness can spur depression and a lot of mental health outcomes. But when you're looking specifically at bisexual people compared to non-bisexual, uh, queer, quote unquote, identified people, so lesbian, um, gay, um, just other non-bi people, they're like our distinct health disparities. Like bisexual people are, um, have higher rates of ovarian, bisexual women have higher rates of ovarian cancer. And it's purely because doctors are hearing their sexual orientation and not giving certain tests. So if I'm a bi, I'm a bi-cis woman, and if I'm in a relationship with another, um, with a person who has a uterus, uh, and I tell my doctor that i I'm in a relationship with someone who has a uterus, and that's what my sex life is for. Doctors will not give certain tests that they do with women who are in relationship with people who have penises. And because of that, there's higher rates of ovarian cancer, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Wow. Like, there's no way that my sexual orientation should have any correlation to higher rates of cancers because I'm not getting checked for things. You know, and that's just like some of the physical health things. Anytime you're you're adding more um, minority identities, just like the the level of trauma is like exponential. Uh, like I'm I'm a black bisexual woman, um, like cis woman, um, but still like so I'm you know I experience biphobia, I experience racism, I experience sexism, and I experience the intersection of all of those. Right. And it's just being really really hard, right. you know. Right. Yeah, because it's like you look at all of the statistics, all of the research on the impact of racism, and specifically on Black people, and everything out there says that there's. So I mean, yeah, there's a lot of research that is looking at um, sort of health promotive behaviors and um, resiliency. But if you're looking at the research, it says like some of the negative impacts in terms of like physical health. We're looking at high blood pressure. We're looking at diabetes. We're looking at sort of like this generational um, transmission of trauma. And then you add to that the sexual orientation and gender identity piece on top of that. And you just, you have these really complex and layered systems of oppression. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's surprising that people... I mean, I talk about I talk about this with my partner all the time, and my partner um, identifies their gender as non-binary. And so we get a lot of bisexual, non-binary conversations, and a lot of times we're just like, "How do we get up in the morning?" I don't know, but <laughs> we have to, so we do it. I have personally encountered a lot of misconceptions and bias around bisexuality, and I made a quick list of just ones that I thought of off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. The first one, 
it doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> the second one, it's a phase. And then also, like, you can't make up your mind. You're greedy. You're a traitor. You're oppressed homosexual. You're insert mental health problem here. You're overly sexual. Always want sex. Are aggressive. Are promiscuous. Less loyal. Less monogamous. And these misconceptions have a huge impact individual to systemic. We asked our interviewees about all of these misconceptions and about biphobia and bi erasure. So biphobia and internalized bi negativity are really, really similar. One is just sort of like an external and one is an internal. So biphobia would be all of the um, negative interaction, uh, stereotype, stigma that bi people experience from non-bi people. Um, so if I go out and community and say like, hey, I'm bi, I have this partner, and someone says, oh, your partner is masculine presenting, you're not allowed in this, um, in our like pride celebration because we only want gay people here. Like that's an example of how I would experience biphobia. And then internalized by negativity is what happens when people sort of take all of that negativity and they turn it in on themselves. And so that would be me wondering like if I'm bi enough or um, maybe I am what these people say by people are. Maybe I am just sort of like untrustworthy and sort of like questioning my own motives because the voices of everyone else has kind of gotten me. A lot of the stigma stereotypes are one that by people are untrustworthy, they're shady, um, they're always going to leave you for like the quote unquote other, right? So like the other gender expression or the other sex, they're always going to just leave you for the other. Um, so you can't trust them anyway. Um, and there's also this really, I just think disgusting sort of stereotype that I personally have heard and been told in my life that bi people, because there's uh, multiple attractions, that bi people are the ones who are spreading HIV and AIDS among queer communities. We're not we're not talking about like how queer people don't really have, have a lot of conversations about safer sex anyway. We're not talking about any of that. We're just looking for a scapegoat. You see, you know, this AIDS crisis and you see like physical health disparities in queer communities and you're not uh, attract you're not attributing it to all of the issues that we have in terms of just healthcare in this country, you want to scapegoat. And I can, I understand that because it's something that's really horrible that's happening and everyone wants to attach it to someone else. So you want to scapegoat, but I don't think, you know, people who are also in that struggle, who are experiencing all of those same health disparities, um, who are in the thick of it, I don't think that we, that we need to be the scapegoat. And bisexuality is very stigmatized in many ways, often in the uh, lesbian and, and gay community. Sometimes bisexual people are thought of as not having the courage to come out of the closet all the way, or we're on, we're on the way to coming out, we're confused. And many lesbian and gay people don't want to date us or don't want to engage with us because there's this thought that we're just experimenting and don't really know what we want. And then in the straight community, I think we're often perceived as just being slutty and once again, just experimenting. And I have been bisexual and aware of it and out about it for 20 years. I'm not experimenting. I know who I am. And I really am attracted to people of multiple genders. Um, and 
I, I think it's really useful for me as an attorney. I feel a strong identification with the word bisexual because, as I said, that has legal and political meaning. And so when we're trying to include other classes of people in, for example, um, much of the federal court litigation about same-sex marriages um, sometimes speaks about the possibility only of people being in same-sex couples or um, it, it frames the debate about issues such as same-sex marriage around only having the option to marry people who are same-sex um, as opposed to being bisexual and just choosing that you know, this is the person I love and I want to, I'm not under duress because I could potentially be married to a man, but I would rather marry a woman as a bisexual woman, perhaps. Um, so I think sometimes in, in a lot of that debate, um, bisexuality is left out and it's important for the for legal continuity to be able to use the word that is going to continue on. And I'm concerned about you know, creating new words and identities over time, which I think may work socially and culturally. But in terms of legal activism, I feel like it's important to hang on to that stigmatized bisexual label and re-embrace it. I think it's important that in these kinds of situations, we recognize that having been in different sex relationships does not mean that you are not legitimately a queer person, that you're not legitimately a bisexual person, if that's how you identify yourself, and that those people can face just as much stigma. There's a massive rate of homelessness um, and depression among bisexual people, particularly young bisexual people. Right. And it's the largest proportion of the LGBTQ community, and yet sometimes the least heard of. We sometimes call that bi erasure because um, many people feel like they don't have the right to fully claim the mantle of being an LGBTQ person. Um, and yet we often face a lot of stigma in both the gay and lesbian world as well as in um, the straight world. And so I think it's really important for us to band together. And I feel particularly passionate about sharing my pride as a bisexual person because it took me a long time to get there. And I know that for a lot of people, they still feel really stigmatized. I've already shared the statistic about how there are more bisexual people than lesbians and gay men put together. Now, that is shocking for a lot of people. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but there's this, there's this other thing that's that also surprising, um, which is the percentage of bisexual people who are couples, you know, who are in relationships, who are in mixed gender relationships. And if you're bisexual and, you know, you could have a relationship with somebody of, of any gender – then then you're just more likely, like statistically, to end up in a relationship with somebody of another gender. It's just, you know, so so it's not even necessarily like that people are trying to be positive. Or, okay, I'm not going to keep you in suspense. I'll tell you. The answer <laughs> is that 84% of coupled bisexual people are in mixed gender relationships. Yeah. 84%. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's that, you know, when people think about bisexual people, when people think about any sexual minority, but even bisexual people, they're thinking about people who are connected with bisexual community, who are probably in a same gender relationship, like they've got this certain view of it. So there are like the vast majority of bisexual people are in mixed gender relationships. And and so people might not recognize them as being a sexual minority person, let alone bisexual. Right. So that's really important, I think, for people to understand who are like organizers and service providers, that if you are only like reaching out to people through LGBT networks and, you know, um, 
uh, same-sex couple kinds of things, then you are missing um, most bisexual people. So I, I'm always saying to people, if you want to reach bisexual people, like for our bisexual discussion group, we just advertise in the local paper, like in and online on, on like calendar events. But I also recommend that people like reach out through parenting groups and stuff because mm-hmm. bisexual people are more likely to be parents than lesbians and gay men are. So, um, so just when we think about how do we reach bisexual people, and also I just want to make sure that all those people who, all those bisexual people who are in mixed gender relationships, like if you're listening to this, I want you to feel seen and known um, because you might feel really isolated. And we want to say to anyone listening who does feel isolated, you are not alone. Um And that is some advice, but we will have more because, as we said, this is just part one. Right. Yes. Stay tuned for part two, where we dive more into biracure and binegativity, personal experiences, and haiku. Haikus. Bisexual haiku, also known as bi-ku. Yes. (laughs) I love this so much. I do, too. And resources. In the meantime, we would love to hear from you listeners. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You and on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our interviewees. You'll hear again. Yes, you will. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thanks, Andrew. And thanks to you for listening. Thank you all. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Kim Crawford invites you to savor amazing with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. Named in the Wine Spectator Top 100 list four times, every sip of Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc is filled with tropical fruit flavors like passion fruit and citrus to help you experience golden hour how you see fit. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more and find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.